team a round of applause just to show our appreciation. I am so grateful to have this bunch and all of the many people that participate in our worship team. It takes a huge commitment, and we're, we're very grateful to each of you. I know all of them have checked. None of them are hearing any of the words that I'm saying right now because that's part of how it is when you're done. You just sort of are out, but I do appreciate all of you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our family room. That may sound cliche. If you're visiting with us, you might say, what do you mean family room? I thought this was a sanctuary. It is, but our sanctuary is also a family room. It's where we do family things, where we talk about family things, where we grow as a family, where we discuss things we don't understand, where we get revelation on things that we maybe previously didn't understand. It's where we open the Word of God, where we pray for each other, minister to each other, worship Jesus. Um, it's where we grow as a family. It's where we do family stuff. I hope you all enjoyed Sunday last week inside. I hope no one went outside that didn't have to last week. It was very cold. We just listened to the wind. And, then, and every couple hours I went and put wood in the fire. And then listened to the wind for a while and then put wood in the fire and so I hope you all enjoyed a Sunday uh, at home. This winter, <clears throat> we're going to dig into the gospel. Uh, you might say, really? Great. <laughs> Much of it will be, it'll have that homecoming feel. That like, you've been away at college for a few years and you come home and it's like, you know, that homecoming like, oh yeah, I remember this and I remember that. And walk in the halls of your old high school, which is like going home for me, as many of you know. <laughs> This is a joke a few of you got. Never went to high school. Um, it's not that, we're gonna, not that we haven't been considering the gospel every week, okay? It's not that, well, we haven't been, and so now we're going to start. That's not what I mean at all. But we're going to head back to some very basics regarding this gift of salvation. Because uh, Martin Luther is famously wrote or said, I can't remember if he said it or wrote it, but he said, I preach the gospel every day so I don't forget about it. I need not, so I don't forget it, the details of it. And, and it's important for us because as we've talked in depth at Revelation Rock, humans are great at a couple of things. Probably the best thing, the thing that we're the best at is forgetting. We can forget like nobody's, but I'm not just talking about dementia patients. I'm talking about Teens, 20s, 30s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we're just excellent at forgetting. It's like God was faithful last week. Yeah, but is he going to be tomorrow? Like, well, he was faithful for your whole life up to this point. But he might not be tomorrow because we, we just forget this stuff. And so because of that, we're going to take the next, it's not going to be every Sunday. I kind of gave up on giving like hard lines. We're going we're gonna to do this for six weeks because it never works that way. There, we might not be right here next week. It may be a different thing. I have a feeling we're going to be on the second part of this morning uh, next week. But we're going to start today. We're going to kind of lay some groundwork. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what the gospel is. Maybe some misconceptions about what the gospel is not. It's possible because we get like our Christianese. You know, anybody know what, what Christianese is? It's like our colloquial words that we're just sort of like, we just say them. Like blessed. Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, everybody. Like, what does that even mean? Do we stop to think about I believe we are. But what is that type of, oh, I'm saved. I'm saved by the power of Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean? It's like, well, I'm born again. And you see Nicodemus and Jesus wrestle with this in John chapter, Jesus wasn't wrestling. He was explaining very simply and Nicodemus was like, how can this possibly be? We say these words, we speak Christianese, but sometimes that 
that creates these little like places where we just drive around things. It's like, well, I don't really know. I just kind of say it. And it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm redeemed by the power of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb, I'm redeemed. What do these things mean? We're going to look at some of this thing so that there's a purpose for this. Number one is to understand our salvation. And if you're joining us, if you're part of our body and you're like, I'm not sure that's me. Well, I pray that over the next hour and a half to two hours today and over the next few weeks and months that you're able to solidify and say, you know what, that, that is not me. I need to be that. Or grow in the reality of that is me. I'm gonna be, and, and then there's, a, there's a, a tertiary purpose to that. And that is so that we can accurately represent it. You know, if you don't understand something, you're not gonna tell anybody about it. This is very, this is, uh, if, if you've ever, there's a, a, few, a few of you, some are currently serving in this role, some of you are not, but if you've ever been in any kind of a leadership meeting at Revelation Rock, you will, you will know and maybe have noted, and if not, there's others that will note it for you, that I don't ever help anybody solve technological problems. I don't volunteer for it. If somebody's like, man, I'm not sure how to log into this thing, you don't see me raising my hand and saying, here, I'll show you how to do that because I have no idea. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it doesn't work. So I don't volunteer to explain it to people. Anything. The only, so my mom and dad, if you know my parents, they're the only people that I will help with technology. Because really the only people that we can help are the ones that are maybe one step behind us. They're the only ones I know. They can't, like they can't log into their phone sometimes. Like, you know what? I know that. It's one, 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 and then it'll open. Or you can do zero. That'll work too. But I help them because they're the only ones I can help. I can't help anybody else because I don't understand anything about technology. In the same way, and I want to harp on that, in the same way, it's important that we as believers understand this gospel and understand what we read in the word so that we're accurately able to represent it to the world. Does that make sense? We're never going to go explain to somebody that's lost and hurting and broken and, or on their deathbed or uncertain about a whole bunch of things. Where are they gonna, what? We're never going to say, you know what, why don't I, can, I, can I introduce you to Jesus if we don't understand it? So we're going to talk about these things, and we're going to talk about some misconceptions with them. And this morning, I want to begin a discussion. During worship, the Lord really laid on my heart heavy. I, I had a, some uh, uncertainty in my gut coming in this morning. I'll just be transparent. This is, I was like, I'm, Lord, I'm not sure. And, and then during worship, I got confirmation that I was where I was supposed to be, and I also got confirmation that it's okay to take this at the pace of a walk. Now, I know that some of you aren't going to be here next week, and there'll be people here next week that aren't here this week, and that's okay. We're recording, most of the time we record them, and they're online available, but I'm going to just trust that the Lord is going to intercept the words that I speak and he's going to administer them to your hearts, okay? So, so that he'll help you. If I speak it wrong, he'll like kind of tweak it a little bit and help deliver it into your heart. But one of the things that the Lord has really been for months now working on me that is a foundational principle in this whole walk of faith. This is like baseline stuff. It seems simple, but oftentimes we get it out of place. Is the principle of an equation, I shared this with a couple of folks over the last couple of days, and it's really the way, you guys know that uh, the Lord always explains Scripture with pictures and things that I see. And 
the simplicity of an equation kind of really came to life in my heart. And that is, if I were to give you, and this is an exhibit of me not having tremendous technological ability, I spent a while trying to make a slide that could be up here. It's to no avail. There are no slides this morning. I'm working on that. That's something the Lord's working on in me. I want to get better at that. If I were to give you on the screen, imagine, picture, let's all imagine. In our house, we do what's called imaginating. It's, what my, it's like the act of imagining is what my kids made the word up. And so we do a lot. Of, imaginate with me, if you will, that there is a two on the, in front of you or on a piece of paper on the screen. There's a two, another two, a plus symbol, a four, and it equals. And if I gave all of you 10 to 15 minutes, you could arrange them in an accurate equation, could you not? Some blank stares. A two plus a two equals a four. That's a true equation. It is accurate, it is a truthful statement, and you could arrange them in a truthful manner. But you know what else is true, and this is what we oftentimes forget, you could also arrange them in an untrue equation, right? Same Digits, same symbols. You could arrange them into an order that is untrue. You could put a four plus a two equals a two. And you could say, is this true, yes or no? And it would be a no. Even the homeschool, we learned that stuff. It's, no, no, that's not true. I may not know what that is, but I know it's not two. It's so you can arrange things into an, in an equation. You can arrange them properly so they are true or improperly so they are untrue. Everybody follow this premise? Very simple, very elemental, but I want to talk about this. As humans, we love equations. I was going over some of this stuff, and I'm like, man, we do equations all the time. Now, as adults, we're like, I don't do math. I don't like equations. I don't do algebra. I don't do... We all do equations all the time. All the time. Just think of... Anybody ever cook anything in the kitchen? You're doing equations. You're adding this, adding that, and your result is this. Trey, put your hand down. You don't cook a lot in the kitchen. <laughs> it's like, I do. No, you don't. He just likes to raise his hand. Whenever there's an opportunity, he's like, me. We all do equations. If you've ever mixed anything, if you've ever built anything, if you've ever laid anything out, if you've ever, there's so many things. If you've ever calculated a bill, anybody ever get a credit card bill and you're like, I don't think that's right. And so you set about to doing an equation. You're like, no wow, what is that? That's interesting. I didn't know we bought that. And you get to the bottom, I was like, yeah, they were right. Painfully right with their calculations. So we do these equations. We love equations as humans. We love them. It's the way the world works. In fact, we do equations in our relationships. We're like, I did like three nice things for Melinda, and then I, that yielded a harvest of one not nice thing. She's not even in here to appreciate it. Like, we, we add this equation factor into everything. And so, I, I see, and I have seen, that in Christianity, our standing with the Father, follow me here, church, our standing with the Father has taken on characteristics of an equation. You say, it's a math problem? No, it's not a math problem, but think about it. It's an equation. We have grace, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. Grace is first. His part's first. And then we add our faith, which is believing him. Believing in Jesus. And, and then 
we add our right belief or right living. We got it because we got to clean ourselves up. We add all that stuff, and then we put the equal sign, and it's uh, right standing with the Father, eternal life. We we'll say no. That's not a true. That's not an accurate equation. That's like two plus four plus two equals nothing. No, no, you gotta, it's gotta be, it has to be a true equation. So what we've said in this equation of right standing with the Father, we've got grace plus faith plus, we'll, sh- we'll shorten that middle one up for works. We'll call it works or right living. We'll call it that. So we add grace plus faith plus works equals eternal right standing with the Father. We're like, no, that's not a true statement. So we, you know, we skip down on that one. So how do we arrange those in a true statement? In a true, how do we arrange those things into a true equation? And what I have seen Christianity do, we exist in two ditches. We have one ditch, and in the one ditch, we're, that's the equation that we're walking with. We're walking with grace plus faith. Everybody that's a believer starts with that. Grace plus faith. We add right, right living or the attempt of right living and then equals right standing with the Father and we just roll with it. Not here, I'm not, just, talk, just bear with me here. We're talking, this is ground level foundational stuff. That's ditch on the left side. The ditch on the right side is grace plus faith equals eternal, standing with the, eternal right standing with the Father. Where it's like we don't know what to do with right living so let's just get rid of it. You know, I don't know what to do with that factor in this equation, so we'll just cross it out. It's like we don't really need right living. That's the other ditch. Is everybody following this? We got a ditch on one side that says right living is before the equals eternal life part. In other words, there is a massive amount of Christianity that has attached their right living to earning their right standing with the Father. You follow me here? which is incorrect thinking. It's false doctrine and false theology. The other side of the ditch is equally false, which is grace, God's part's first, our part to believe equals right standing with the Father, end of the equation. Because we haven't included all that you say, well, you just added right works, right living. You just added that in because you want to preach religion. You want to preach performance. No, I don't. I'd love that other equation where it's just like, whatever. But you know what we're called to? If you got your Bibles, would you turn, and I, I erroneously did not give you this one, but you can find it, Olivia. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. This is important for us, church. And these are gonna be, these, so we gotta get our foundation laid and we're gonna understand this equation by the time we're done today. I really hope and pray that we can get this understood because then we're free to get, like, to take the next steps. We can, once the foundation's all right, there's a few people in here that know about building. Once your foundation's right, if you do it right, building the structure gets real easy. It's, it falls into place really nicely. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 reads, remind them of these things. This is Paul's letter to Pastor Timothy. He's writing it. This is his instructional thing. It's like, these are important things. Take these and lead the church with them, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearer. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more what? 
ungodliness. Goes on in verse 19, he goes on and he says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. Now, the Lord knows those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I included that verse 19 in there just because I want to I draw out. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy after the cross. You know that? This isn't Old Covenant, church. This isn't discard it. That's not me. I'm after the cross. I don't need to worry about any of this stuff. I will say you don't need to worry about it. But back to my equation that we started talking about. I didn't come up with right living. It's like a third of the New Testament. It's all over in Scripture. After the cross and the new covenant has been established, there is very, very few books that do not mention adjustments, right living, flee from this, abstain from that. Don't pursue this. Pursue that. Now, what's neat about the New Testament, and we're going to look at some scripture. Like I said, this is part one. Next week will be part two of this because we just need to have part two next week. Uh, we're never left with just a bunch of don'ts, which is so good. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get one amen? Thank you, Jesus. He doesn't ever say, all right, everybody, quit doing everything you're doing. Good luck. No, because... Paul and the authors of the New Testament, inspired by the Spirit of God, understand displacement theology. I'm a, that's a me thing. That's, I'm not saying a me. It's like a, to dis, we can't just quit doing something. We have to force it out with something else. We say, I'm not going to do this, so I got to do something else. You understand what I mean? We, you remember years and years ago, I got to do a little, uh, I got to, I preached a sermon and it was a little rugged, but I, and I know Tom remembers this, and he might be the only one that remembers, because everyone else was like, dear Jesus, be with him while he finishes crashing this plane. But I did, uh, I, I, sh I had a cup with oil in it. And then I poured water. I said, how do you get the oil out of this cup without turning it over? Do you, anybody remember this? And I filled it with water. And then the oil all came out the top. It's displaced. We just displaced the oil. We didn't, I mean, we could have like tried to wipe it all out, and it would have still been in there. But we just filled the cup with water, and the oil all came out. That's this principle that's in the New Testament. We weren't given just a bunch of don't, like, get the oil out of your life. Get all the misbehavior out of your life. Good luck. Jesus is like, in the New Testament, the Spirit of God inspiring the writers says, don't do all this stuff. Instead, displace it with all of this stuff, which is awesome. And we're not going to get to all of that today because I love introductions. Grace plus faith establishes you as right with the Father so you can go on to right living. That's a true equation. Don't leave any of it out. We can't leave any of it out. It matters tremendously, and in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk about why. It is imperative that we understand this. In, in many lives today, in Christians' lives, not anybody in particular, but in Christian, just talking to people, listening to teachings, discussing things with people, I hear and see a tendency to view our lives in a very laissez-faire manner. Everybody familiar with laissez-faire? It's just kind of like, ah, mm, ah, eh. 
That's how we do it. We don't speak French in America, so we just say, meh. That's laissez-faire. It's like, meh, I don't know. And we view, we view this world, this earthly life, we tend to like nothing I do matters because grace. Because grace. Anybody ever said that or heard that or felt that? Or it's like, well, I don't know. Now, what's cool, having received the gift of God in the person of Jesus Christ, because it's free, there's a temptation to coast. It's okay. The, when I was, during worship, I was, I was uh, anybody ever heard the term like wound like a fiddle string? Like you're tight, it's just like, I was kind of wound when I walked in this morning. And then during worship, the Lord's like, here, let me, let me take that down a few octaves and just loosen. It's okay. And he's like, this is going to be fine and it's okay to walk. So we're going to just kind of walk through this. And I, I'm excited because we have to be able to ask the question, what then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? We have to be able to ask the question, and if we're hearing the grace and the gospel of Jesus accurately, we, have, we are forced to ask that question. And I'm not going to preach the entire book of Romans. We're going to read a chunk of it here in a minute. But it's imperative that we get to the point because grace is that extreme, that it leads us to that question, but the answer is never by all means. Do you follow me? the answer to that question? Should I continue in sin so that grace may abound? If I were to ask you that question, the answer should, all, should be always, by no means. God forbid. That's not the answer. But it's not ungodly to ask that question. Thank you, Jesus. Can, thank you, Jesus. It is not ungodly. Because that's, now we're at like uh, the bedrock of Christianity. You're at, the, you're at that baseline that's hard that now we can build off this. This isn't going to move. We got to ask, should we continue? Is it good to keep sinning so that grace just keeps bubbling up? God forbid. That's okay. It's okay to ask that question. We always have to follow it with the proper answer. But to, to back up one step further at that bedrock level, <clears throat> in order to be born again, we must realize and declare our need for it. Amen? Everybody understand that. You have to realize your need for it. it think about it, and I, we talk about this a lot, but think about a drowning person. If someone is drowning, but they are convinced they are not, you can surround them with lifelines and they will not reach for them. Even though as a lifeguard, you can say, they are drowning. This is not going to end well. You can throw all the buoys to them, but if they don't ever reach for them, they will not survive. In the same way, as a, as a human in a fallen state or fallen condition, which we are conceived in iniquity, we start out behind the eight ball. We're not right with God to begin with. We got to realize that, which is what I have kind of found in, in my life with Jesus is that's an exhausting process. To get, it's not an easy thing to get to that point. Do you know that? Because there's a lot, especially in today's day and age with all the, all the podcasts and all the self-help stuff and all the ideas and the concepts and every idea that's ever been thought of is like one Google search away from your fingertips. And so it's, it's an exhausting process to get to the end of yourself, is it? Is it, I, it was for me to get to where it's like, yep, yep, I have exhausted all of my resources for righteousness on my own and I am still woefully inadequate. The prerequisite for receiving salvation is to realize and declare our need for it. 
That's good news. That's the complete prerequisite. See, in John chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, I don't know if I gave you this one either, Olivia. I gave you a lot, but I don't know if I gave you what I have, all of them. John chapter 3, I have a brand new Bible, and the pages don't turn as fast as my old one. John chapter 3, 15 through 18, reads, that whoever, be, this is Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. He says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, what? Believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because what? He screwed up? No, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus lays it out. This is that ground zero we were talking about. It is, you have to declare that you have a need for it. And then you have to believe. It's not to believe. So think about it like this. To believe in Jesus is to not believe in yourself. This is very counter everything or a lot of what's going on today with like, like really got to believe in yourself. I got to believe in Jesus. I'm for all of you su succeeding, but you're going to succeed the most as you believe less in yourself and more in Jesus. That's, if you want to go out of here and you want to win, anybody want to go out of here and win, whatever your thing is, go out of here knowing he's with you, not knowing you're awesome. Because he created the heavens and the earth. He has no beginning and no end. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. With that magnitude of a being with you and within you, you can't fail. That's a side note. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 26. That's a longer chunk than I was picturing. Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 26. Everybody hold on. We're at church. We're going to read this. Starting in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? This is... Romans is Paul's expose on grace. It is his most complete teaching, front to back, top to bottom, all the way around. This is an important chunk of scripture to understand. And this is a really important chunk. This is a very critical part. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we previously have charged both Jews and Greeks that they are what? All under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Man, he's just doubling down. Their throat is an open tomb or an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Whew. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are, their way, are in their ways. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no... Fear of God before their eyes. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that what? Every mouth may be stopped. The world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Thank you, Jesus, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. Verse 23, one of the most foundational sentences found in the entire scripture says, for all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Circle back in verse 19, it says, now, We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law for the purpose that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. This is important to note because there's a lot of people that wander around with this sort of like, I'm contributing to my righteousness like Jesus. And then we talked about this, the one ditch. It's like, well, we got Jesus. And then it's like, you know, I'm doing some stuff too. And I'm pretty good at some of this stuff. You know, I haven't done some really bads. I've done some moderately goods and some moderately bads. But it's like all the world, the purpose of the law, everybody's guilty. You want to know how guilty everybody is? Read Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. Follow it up with Romans chapter 3 and you'll say, okay. Suffice it to say, everyone is guilty. It's important that everyone has this understanding of a guilty sentence. Do you know why it's important that we understand that we've got a guilty sentence? Because if we don't understand that we're guilty, we have no need for a savior. If there's a chance we're not guilty, most of us are going to shoot the, we're going to like, we'll shoot the chances. Like, I don't, I might not be guilty because I've done some goods. And then we get into what? Comparison. We look at our neighbor and we're like, I mean, I'm not perfect, but look at him. I was like, his life is a yard sale, and I'm like walking pretty decent. But you know there's somebody that's right over here that looks at us, and he's like, definitely not perfect, but I'm not Isaac. His life is a yard sale. And then, and we can just keep going, and, every, and we compare ourselves into what? We just twist ourselves up into confusion. We compare ourselves among ourselves, and we ultimately, as Paul says, end up devouring ourselves. And nobody's made righteous by that stuff. Nobody is righteous under the law which is the only option other than Jesus. So it's important that we understand that every mouth, I love the wording that Paul wrote here. And I do, this is sometimes, you know, I, I, I don't love everything about the English language. This is one time that I really appreciate this, the, our English. It says, now, how many parents are in the room? If you're a parent, raise your hand, or an aunt or an uncle, because this is kind of important. If you've been around kids, this, you get this. This means something totally different to me now than it did 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I read this, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting wording, blah, blah, blah. Now I have children, and so now when I read that every mouth may be stopped, I'm like, huh, huh. But, 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 what happened? Well, no, he said, what, what happened? I wasn't, I didn't, no, it was him, it wasn't me. No, it was her, she did it. She said, no, no, and as a parent, it's just like, Okay, line up. You're all in trouble. <laughs> With all the, but, 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 no, but see, didn't you see, he, I said this, but then, but he said, and, but that's us. That's so often us as believers. We're like, but don't you understand, Lord? Like the only reason that I deal with that is because my dad had this thing where he did this and then my mom said this to me when I was a kid and so I do this and don't you understand? It's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That every mouth may be stopped. When we get to the end of our but, but, buts, we get to the end and it's like, there's, no. That all are guilty under the law. Do you know 
We're not getting very far today. There is a lot of people. Tom? What a blessing Tom is. Acknowledging that God exists is not the same as being born again. This is a a sobering reality that I've experienced uh, ministering to people in our general Northwest Ohio area. I'm not talking about this body or any particular person, but I see this where when you get out into, like you get out of these four walls and you start poking around asking people about faith, having discussions about faith. I love to do it and what you find out is there's this generalization where people are like, yeah, like I believe in God. Anybody experience that when you're maybe in your workplace or your or even just family friends and you're kind of like you're like oh boy this is uncomfortable I've never really talked about faith but I kind of want to talk and so I'm like you know like you know where are you at like with the Lord what do you where are you at what do you believe you know Jesus and when I get the response I believe in God or I believe there is a God I cringe because I'm like that's a false sense of security. You believe that that's what it takes is just to believe there is a God and Jesus is like, the demons know there's a God and they just tremble. Trembling at the reality that there is a God is not being born again. Being born again, you declare in with Romans chapter three that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm done saying but, but, buts. I've got no more but, buts. I'm done. I, I got nothing else. And then, We go on and we believe just like Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. We believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we will not be condemned. And you go on and you look at uh, Acts chapter 16 verse 31 where Paul's talking to the Philippian jailer and they're going back and forth and he's like, what must I do in verse 30 to be saved? Verse 31 he says what? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a specific thing to believe in Jesus and not believe in yourself. There's nowhere in scripture that you find believe in Jesus and believe in your ability to knock it out of the park and you will be right with God. It's not found, it's believe in Jesus. But then you say, what about the equation from the beginning? We're gonna unpack this in the coming weeks. Romans chapter 10, 9, and 10 talks about this and we're not looking at all these. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, we looked at that briefly. And all of this establishes that baseline of being right with God. But then you go on and you read scripture. You read the letters that Paul wrote to 1 Corinthians. You read the letters that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Read the letters that Peter wrote. Read the letters that Paul wrote to various people, pastors, various churches, the church at Ephesus, the church at Galatia. You read these letters and it's like, he's talking a lot about what we're doing. I mean a lot. Like there's a lot of scripture that's like, don't do these things. You shouldn't be doing these things. This isn't who you are. Quit doing these things. You should stop thinking this way. You should stop talking to each other this way. Please be kind to one another. Do these things. Don't do these things. And so where do we put that? And I invite you this morning, church, go back to this equation. And I want to, this is probably about as far as we're going to get in this equation, but I want us to think about the equation of Grace, God did his part in the person of Jesus Christ. 4,000 years of setup led to his son coming to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die a sacrificially horrible death on our behalf, to offer us the gift of salvation, at which point we what? 
We believe, we just talked about this, established at a single point in time, being born again is not something that you just do because you always did growing up. This is important. You don't, if I, if somebody asks you, it's like, well, when did you get born again? Well, like, I've always been a Christian. Well, no, you haven't. It's a point in time. It's a thing. You know, there's people that don't have, I have a, I, I had a passport. It's expired now. But you know, you don't just get a passport because you're born as a human. It's like, well, I'm here, so I probably should have a passport. No, there's a specific date on the front, on the, you open your passport, and this is when you got it. In the same way, to be born again is not a, well, it's just like I kind of was, like when I was, like I, I just kind of always have. No, you're not. It's a specific point in time where you choose to not believe in you anymore. I'm going to say, I'm not going to believe in Isaac. I'm going to believe in Jesus as my right standing with the Father. Because I understand Romans chapter 3, Romans 1, Romans 2, Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and all my butt, butt, butts are done. And we establish this point where now I'm born again. And I'm a child of the King. And so many times at church, and we should, it's good to, so many times at church, we just kind of assume that. We just talk, like you'll maybe hear me preach and I'm like just talking in generalizations. Like you guys are the righteous of God. And you are if you're born again. It's important to know though. We don't, we maybe could do better at getting back to this all the time so that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know this is what it means to be born again. And now I'm the righteous of God created in Christ Jesus. Now I have eternal right standing with the Father, a legal term. And so now I can go and live differently. Do you know that? It's that we're instructed to live differently. And I appreciate all the blank stares because everybody's gears are turning. Everybody's like, what do, you, what, what do you mean? What I mean is that we used to do one thing and now we're not going to do that anymore. But it's not because we hope God loves us and we hope God forgives us. It's because he did and he does. That's why we live this way. I am so excited about this gospel and what it means for us. The church, does everybody have, I got like eight more minutes and we're gonna be exactly done with the introduction. The church for so many years, not this church, not this church, I'm saying the big C church for so many years taught a master class on behavior. You know that? Uh, many of you maybe grew up under some of this teaching and although it has been a couple of centuries since the height of moral behavior-based teaching. But for so long, that was what the church, it was like, behave or else, behave or else, behave or, and that was like, that was our whole thing was to behave, behave, behave. But then as the message of Jesus became clearer, the revelation of the grace of God shined down combined with humans' apparent inability to stop screwing up. This is important. This is a, another equation, really. But Humans, over generations, it's like, you know, we, we're not really good at not sinning. Like, this is not working. We're just doing more of it, and then we're acting. What happens is, that's where inauthenticity comes into faith. It's like, so we're all screwing up a lot, um, but on Sunday we hear that we shouldn't if we want to go to heaven, and so on Sunday we'll act like we don't, so that maybe when we're in a casket, somebody will preach about it, and maybe then we'll make it, because they thought we were good. It's... You, you looking at me with blank stares, that is, happens. That mentality is there. As the message of Jesus became clearer over generations, we got little bit glimpses of it. It was like, oh, you know what? I think it is by grace. You know, it's, it's all in Scripture, but as we studied it more, 
After the dark ages, scriptures got into the hands of more and more Christians. They're like, I, th- I think maybe it's grace. It's not maybe, maybe me as much. It's maybe the grace of God. And then you mix that with humans, with our inability to stop doing stupid stuff. You put this together, Christians started to breathe a little easier. It's like, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right that I screwed up because, because grace, which is good. But unfortunately, like in this, we've lost our way regarding how we live. Again, this isn't, this is to us as a church, this whole message, but it's not like to us. This is a kind of an overview, it's a baseline thing. Many Christians have been raised up measuring our lifestyle against eternity. In other words, we're terrified to live because we didn't want to disqualify ourselves from heaven. Anybody been there? I'll stand up here and hold my hand up because I've been there. I've done a few miles on that track where I was terrified to live because I didn't want to disqualify myself from heaven. Church, I want to be very clear. This is an antichrist perspective. And I use the word antichrist for a very specific reason. That's got a lot of like uh, an aura around it, like antichrist. Yes, that is antichrist. If I'm involved in my salvation, then it's not Jesus. If I'm going to disqualify myself from heaven with anything other than unbelief, then it was on me that I got saved, and that's not true salvation. There's a this, like I said, this antichrist perspective. The reason that Jesus came as the Christ was that we were disqualified. Okay? That makes sense to everybody? But the next thing that has surfaced in many groups of believers is a perspective, and hear me out, this might hit you square between the eyes and it might go, it might be way wide, wide left. But have you ever had, as long as it doesn't cost me heaven, it's probably all good. It's like, well, it doesn't, it's like I'm not going to not be born again anymore. If I do this mistake, if I think this thing, if I go this way, if I, I'm not going to be, it's like, yeah, because grace, like, it's not going to cost me heaven, which when I think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, what are we doing? That's our bar. That's the bar. It's like, well, as long as it doesn't knock Jesus off the cross, out of the, out of heaven, we're probably good. This is an equally ridiculous measure of our life decisions and behavior. It's no less ridiculous than the side where it's like, it's us plus Jesus for our righteousness. Jesus did not come to earth as a human, live a sinless life, die an undeserving, horrible, sacrificial death on the cross so we can skip along our merry way living like idiots. Jesus loves us way too much to leave us how we are. It's uncomfortable to to think in my life there's things that I need to not think, not do. But you know, in the natural world, we understand this. We understand it real clear in the natural. Um, Anybody ever heard of the Underground Railroad? Either the one in the 1860s or the one today. It's about delivering slaves from slavery. But you know what it, what it isn't? The Underground Railroad in the 1860s did not transport slaves from the deep south into slavery in Minnesota and Wisconsin. You're all looking at me like, you were homeschooled, weren't you? They, they were transported from slavery into, say it again, into freedom, which means they weren't slaves 
anymore. So they were in slavery, but then they got saved and they aren't anymore. Does that resonate with anybody today? I, I want to be living in freedom. I don't want to go to slavery in another place where I'm just saying, like, I'm okay. it's okay to be a slave now. We were in slavery. Before you were born again, you were dead. Jesus didn't die and give you the gift of life so you could keep being dead. So I could keep being dead. One passage has been taken as sort of a caveat for, for not caring how we live is found in Paul's expose on grace, the book of Romans. And, uh, oh shoot, Tom, what's up? Or Jerry, what's the guy in Birmingham? Well, I just lost his name. Brandon Ball. Brandon Ball. He's, he says this, the, the quote, and I've shared it with you before. When we're looking for, through the word for some truth for the taken, don't make a verse, make a point it's not making. It's important. It's a quick little jingle, but it's been huge for me. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 reads, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Verse 16, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Verse 17, But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do that I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. If any of, is everyone sufficiently tied up in a knot? I have a, I believe, I don't speak Greek, but I got to believe it was clearer in the Greek than it is in the English. His point, what he's, and this is the caveat that so many Christians use, and I've heard it taught, and I've heard people really embrace this. It's like, well, hey, Paul said, what I want to do, I don't. What I do, I don't want to do. So it's all good. And this is going to be the last point. It's not anywhere near the last point. <clears throat> but here in the church, it, in Revelation Rock, Small C, local Revelation Rock Church. You know what we don't love is sickness. We stand against that stuff. Man, if I get a phone call, somebody's sick or going to the hospital, we're going to pray, we're going to stand against it, we're going to, like, we're going to share scripture. We're, we're gonna, anybody, we're going to get, I mean, I've been to hospitals to pray with people recently, and we're for that. Does everybody does make sense? That makes sense to everybody. But for some reason, we, there's a disconnect. It's like sickness, we are standing against. Misbehavior, I don't know, whatever. It's probably fine. And now, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I'm saying, talk, talking to me and to us. Like, do we view our, our stupids, for lack of a better word, our misbehavior? You know, you are the righteousness of God. Keep in mind our equation. It is God's grace. His was the first part. Our faith equals our right standing with the Father. And then after the right standing with the Father, now we're free to live right. We're called to live right. Not to earn it. Get the equation right here. And we, we feel, we abhor some physical things. But for some reason, 
the stuff where it's like, I'm not really, I'm not really winning in this area. But you know, Paul didn't win in all his areas either, and so we're just okay. And I deeply, deeply, deeply do not want anyone to take, including myself, shame, um, uh, guilt. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a family. I started out, this is a family room. And in the family room, we encourage, we exhort, we discuss things. This isn't a thing where anybody's supposed to leave and be like, oh, I feel awful because I've like screwed up a bunch. Well, so have I. You're in great company. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is like, we can walk out of this stuff. This, there, we can walk out of this, and I'll go a step further. We need to. We need to walk out of something. Like, there's all kinds of these little things. We gotta, we're going to put our foot, our feet to the road, and we're going to start walking. And that was the last point, wasn't it, Tom? <laughs> Amen. The line of behavior, this line where we're like, we got to behave, it doesn't lie at the foot of the cross. The foot of the cross is level, and at the foot of the cross, the invitation is to believe. This isn't a situation of in order to. What we're talking about is a situation of because he did. Do you understand what I mean? We don't, we don't, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, we don't abhor that which is evil and cling to that which is good so that maybe we'll be right with God. We do it because of what Jesus did for us. Because we have been made the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus. So now we have the opportunity to look like it. Um, I shared with Trey a little bit earlier. I'm a, I'm a history guy. I love history. I love to talk about history. I love to read about it. I love to watch films and movies and see pictures from history. I love history. In this region, how many of you know this was a great black swamp? There was huge trees and they were sitting in three, four, five, six, eight feet of water. It grew up out of it, it was brushy, it was a swamp, it was nasty, it was a gross place. When they started farming it, they didn't have any D8s. That's a bulldozer for anyone that does not know heavy equipment. They didn't have excavators, backhoes, loaders. They had probably malnourished oxen. They had horses. And they're great, but if you're taking out an oak stump, it's kind of hard. And so you know what they did? They would fell the trees. They'd cut the trees down. They'd make wood out of it to build their barns, their houses, their roads. They would make roads. That was an interesting discussion. This isn't history class, so we won't get into it. But they would use all these trees, and then they tried to farm. But there were stumps everywhere. So they would just farm around the stumps for years they would farm around the stumps. They would plow around the stumps. And then as they would rot, they would, some of them they'd burn, they'd have bonfires over them and they'd burn them down some. And eventually they'd get to where their couple of oxen, they could pop the stump out and then they could farm right through that section. If you've ever torn any fence rows or woods or anything like that out, you understand it's a big deal. Like there's a lot that goes into ripping trees out that are established. The picture that I see in this history story is as believers... All of the instruction for right living is found in here. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm not sure how this applies to me. I, I, I'm not really sure what do I do with this. The answer is found in here. 
But what we have to not do and what I, might, I'm, I have done, not saying you have done, I have done, is I've farmed around stumps. I've come to Scripture, whether it's in a sermon, studying in my own life, listening to another teaching, and I read through and I get to a point and I'm like, oh, that's a stump. That's about my behavior. And I'm going to skip down. Uh, I'm going to find a new book. Let's read a different book. We drive around it because it makes us uncomfortable. Like, I'm not sure what to do with that. And what I'm here to tell you, what I'm not going to do is to tell you how to live. Whew. I just thought everybody was just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I thought he was going to tell us how to live. I'm not going to tell you how to live. What I'm going to invite you to do and what we're going to do from the pulpit is we're not going to farm around any stumps. We're going to look through Scripture. And when we encounter a stump, we're going to work on it. We're going to work through it. We're going to ask the Lord about it. And I'm not going to tell you how to live, but what I'm going to invite you to do is allow the Holy Spirit to have those stump Scriptures. Give them to the Holy Spirit. Don't read around them. Don't study around them. Don't pray around them. Farm right through those things. You get to a scripture and you're like, ah, I don't know what this list that Paul's talking about. Let this not be named among you. What are those words, first of all? And then you look at them and it's like, I think those are me. I don't know what to do with that. I'm not going to tell you what to do with it, but let the Holy Spirit, let the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you and he will lead you, he will guide you, he will direct you, and he will go on if you read on. He'll always give you that displacement scripture so that you can say, okay, so I shouldn't be thinking this way. And so I'm going to read three more verses. Oh, so think this way. And then he'll give you the things to think. He'll give you the scripture. And thank Jesus, he'll give you the power to do it. This is the first part. We're going to get into this. There's a few more things. Please don't anybody not come back because let's give me one more week to, uh, to land this. I'm excited about it. This is a good thing. This is an invitation to a really, really good thing and the next chunk of this walk, okay? This is a good thing. We're about done. I, wanna, I want us to leave with the declaration. If you would, join me and stand. <laughs> I thought I was going to get through the whole thing, and so I didn't really put a, a half line in this. I apologize for not crafting it more carefully. Please come back next week or listen online so you can hear the resolution of this. Here at Revelation Rock, we declare that we are blessed and highly favored in our relationship with Jesus. We're blessed in the city and we're blessed in the country. We're confident that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Today we submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit as we navigate being representatives of Jesus in our world. We know this world and even our flesh isn't fixed yet, but we choose to lean into the abundant life that was given to us by the person of Jesus Christ, walking as the head and not the tail. Today we are above and not beneath. Today we shun what is evil and we cling to what is good. Today we step from this place with the boldness of lions, knowing that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Father, I thank you so much for today. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here with us, that you're uh, interpreting 
scripture for us. Father, I thank you for grace. Thank you for the grace that you've administered the gospel to our hearts. And, and Lord, I thank you for the grace of this body as, they, as we're working through stuff and I'm learning to craft things uh, in the message that flows well, that honors you and that speaks the truth. Lord, I just thank you for grace from them. Thank you for grace for us as we step from this place today. Lord, I just thank you for each person that's here within the sound of my voice. I thank you that you have called us up. Father, I thank you that your conviction in our hearts is that we are righteous. That even in our darkest moments, in our deepest confusions, and our biggest mistakes, your conviction is that you are righteous son or daughter. Let me show you how to look like it. Because you are it. Father, I just pray a blessing over each person that's here, each person that helped to make today work uh, together as the body, spend a little time in our family room. I pray a blessing over the kids as I'm sure uh, they maybe have been on to games for a little while now, Lord. <laughs> pray a blessing over the rest of our time in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are dismissed.